Great. Well, tonight we are looking at the first part of Philippians and Joseph preached on Philippians last week. Um, and as he mentioned there, Philippians is a book that is positive, uplifting, full of delight in Jesus, full of joy. So that's what we're going to talk about. Joy. Would you like more joy in your life? Obviously, the answer is yes. No one's going to say, well, actually, what I've always really wanted is to be a bit more miserable. It's like being offered free money. Who's going to turn that down? Although, interestingly, often the reason that we like money is that it gives us the power to buy things that we enjoy. Joy is a powerful motivator. Billboards promise it. Ad breaks promise it. Buy this pizza. Wear this perfume. Uh, buy this phone and you will the, the underlying promise is buy this and you will get joy. Uh, we look for joy in all sorts of places. We stretch our lives in order to find it. We change houses, change relationships, change jobs. But how are we doing? Well, um, YouGov survey the mood of Britain and they produce a graph of week by week how the mood's changing. And uh, results from the last couple of weeks have a rating for happiness. People tick which word describes how they're feeling. And last week, 42 percent of people ticked that they were feeling happy, which 42 percent depends if you're an optimist or a pessimist. But, you know, it's OK. But compare that to the next two. 40 percent said that they were stressed and 38 percent said that they were frustrated. So our happiness levels as a nation are about the same as our stress and our frustration levels. Joy is hard to come by. But Philippians is a letter that is absolutely bubbling with joy. And this is not a limited joy that's left as a, a greasy cardboard box or a fragile joy that you drop it and in a moment it cracks. This is not a joy that you can get fired from. Not a joy that loses interest in you. This is a solid joy, a lasting joy, a firm, unshakable joy. Philippians offers us true joy. And um, it starts, verse one, as most first century letters will start, why, who it's from, who it's to and a greeting. So it starts off, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. So Paul and Timothy together write this letter. Paul's probably the main author. Timothy's probably a scribe, um, but also part of composing it. And they're both well known to the people that they're writing the letter to, to the, the church in Philippi. Uh, verse one carries on to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. And Paul and Timothy were both part of the missionary team that founded this church in Philippi. But Paul is writing this from prison. Did you spot when Pete read it in verse seven? He says, uh, it's right for me that to feel this way about all of you. He's talking about his joy filled prayers. Since I have you in my heart and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel. He's in chains, in prison. And then a little bit later in the after the passage we read, verse 13, he says, um, it's become clear about the whole palace guard 
and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Paul might literally have been chained to Roman guards or possibly under some form of house arrest, restricted, unable to go out and about, except maybe for some daily exercise, unable to see the people that he cares about, unable to do his job properly. Hard to imagine, I know. But Paul, more than just an inconvenience, this was a problem for his life's calling. God had called him to spread the news about Jesus throughout the world, to tell people that they should align their lives and follow Jesus. And Paul can't do that. And he can't get to see these churches that he's formed and the relationships um, that he wants. He is locked down and his lockdown. Well, it will end in a trial. And his trial, the outcome is in question. If he's charged as innocent, he'll be set free. But if he's charged as guilty, he could face a death sentence. He says that in down in verse 20, he talks about whether he will live or die. He doesn't know. His future is uncertain. But Paul is still joyful. You know, in this short book, just four chapters, 16 times he mentions joy or rejoice or something to do with joy. Maybe you could go through and try and spot all of them sometime. Um, so, for example, in 118, he says, I am joyful. Yes. And I will continue to be joyful. Uh, 217 to 18. I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. 3-1. Be joyful in the Lord. 4-4. Be joyful in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Be joyful. Paul, despite being in prison, despite being restricted, is joyful. And he wants the Philippians to be joyful too. Joy is available. When you don't have the time or the energy or the opportunity to do what you really care about, what God has put on your heart, joy is available. When your relationships are strained or lost, joy is available. Or when your future is uncertain, your health, your job, a real possibility of death, joy is available. Whatever your personal situation, joy is available. Now, when we meet someone, we tend to ask them what their name is. And then the next question we tend to ask is, what do you do? Um, I heard about a guy who got really fed up of being asked about what he did because he didn't want to be defined by what his job was. So he used to just answer with random things that he did, not his job. So people say, oh, what do you do? And he'd say things like, oh, I ride a motorbike or uh, I play the guitar or on Saturdays I make smoothies. He didn't want to be defined by his job. Well, Paul knows that joy is available because he knows what defines Christians. And he sets it out right at the beginning of this letter. In verse one still, he says to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi. Paul shows that being a Christian means being in Christ. He knows that his identity as a Christian is in Christ and he wants 
the Philippians and us to know that our identity is about being in Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian. And that underlies not just this passage, but this whole letter. In fact, all of what Paul writes is underlined by this big truth that being a Christian means being in Christ. We're not defined primarily by our nationality or our skin colour or our gender. Those are important. But if we're Christians, we're defined by Christ Jesus. Our job, what we do, our family situation, important things, but they don't define us. If we're Christians, we're defined by being in Christ Jesus. And Christ Jesus is the joyful one. So in Hebrews um, chapter one, verse nine, quotes Psalm 45 about Jesus. And it says this of him. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. It's saying Jesus had superior joy than his companions, than anyone else, because of who he was. Jesus is the joyful one. And Galatians says that. If we're in Christ, we are God's sons, that God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So being a Christian means being in Christ, being a son like Christ is the son. And what's part of the fruit of the spirit? Joy. And remember, fruit isn't like, you know, you've got bananas and apples and peaches and, oh, I'm a Christian that's uh, that's a great Christian. You know, I've, I've got a lot of patience, but not so much self-control or joy. The fruit of the spirit is just the result of having the spirit in us. Part of the result of having the spirit in us is we are filled with joy because we're in Jesus and Jesus is the joyful one. If we're in Jesus, we're in joy. Our death becomes his death and his life becomes our life. Our lack of joy is replaced by his joy. All of our reasons that we genuinely shouldn't have joy are replaced by all of the reasons that we genuinely can have joy in Christ. All of our isolation from the father replaced with his connection with his father. All of our selfishness and instinct to get replaced by his selflessness and instinct to give. The loneliness we create because of our sin replaced with genuine community that he creates. If we're in Jesus, we are in joy. And Jesus is our joy. It's the joy of forgiveness, the joy of being able to walk around knowing that the weight of things we've done in the past don't hang on our shoulders anymore. It's the joy of second chances and third chances and four thousandth chances. It's the joy of not having to feel like an imposter. It's the joy of hope, the joy of knowing that our heavenly father approves of us and isn't disappointed, but is delighted. It's the joy of having his spirit live inside us and empower us to live the lives that he made us to live. Jesus is our joy. And so if we're in Jesus, we are in joy. Now, As Seth mentioned earlier, I grew up in Loughborough, so I am 
by heart a Midlander. Now, when I went down to London to university, everyone down there thought I was a northerner. And then when Rachel and I moved up to Newcastle, everyone up there thought I was a southerner. So it's really nice to be back in the Midlands where people understand that the Midlands is a thing. Where I was from didn't change, but people's perspective on it did. And if we're a Christian, we're in Christ. That is true. That doesn't change, but our perspective on it can. And the same goes for our geographical location. So these saints, um, these Christians, in verse one, it says to God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi. So they are at Philippi, but they are also in Christ. Whatever culture we're in, we're in Christ. We're in Britain, but we're in Christ. You know, Philippi was a tough place to be a Christian. Um, it's a city in northeast Greece, about 20 kilometres south of Bulgaria. Um, it was actually uh, Alexander the Great's dad, who was called Philip, who renamed it after himself, which, to be fair, who wouldn't name a city after themselves. And it was a tough place to be a Christian. Um, when you can read about the founding of the church in Acts 16, Paul and Timothy and some of the companions arrive there. And normally what they would do is go to the synagogue the place of Jewish worship. But when they got there, there was no synagogue because this was a place that had been empty of true religion, true connection with God. And so instead, they go to a group of women who are meeting by the river to pray. Um, a lady called Lydia is converted. And from there, the church community in Philippi is formed. And Philippi was full of this proud nationalism. So it was uh, a Roman colony. Um, a lot of ex-military lived there, ex-Roman soldiers, they had Roman laws, Roman traditions, the Roman way of doing things. And there was serious loyalty to their ruler, the emperor. Uh, they, you know, Caesar, they knew Caesar was supreme. Caesar was lord. And so when a group of small people start saying Jesus is lord, Jesus is supreme, that caused some difficulties. In fact, you read in Acts 16 that when Paul and Timothy went there, they ended up getting thrown into jail. And one of the things that people say is they're they're teaching things and doing things which don't line up with our customs. Philippi was a tough place to be a Christian. But Paul is writing to them saying, although you're in Philippi, you are in Christ Jesus. Although we are in Britain. If we're Christians, we're in Christ Jesus, which means joy is available. If we are going to live as a church that is loyal to Jesus, that says Jesus is the Lord, Jesus is supreme, then there will be times when that goes against what the culture around us is saying. But that doesn't have to be something that sucks the joy out of us, that leaves us disappointed and disillusioned about the state of the world and the state of the country and the laws that are being made and the things people believe. Because whatever culture we're in, joy is available. When we have to lovingly challenge the way that people think, joy is available. When we're misrepresented or ignored or opposed, joy is available. Because although we're in Britain, we're in Jesus. And 
this church, well, it's a church because he says to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus. Paul and Timothy, they're not just writing to individuals. They're writing to church community. So joy is available in Jesus, whatever community we're part of. You're in Hollywell Church, but you're also in Christ Jesus. You know, the Philippian church wasn't perfect, like most churches. And sorry, like all churches. And Paul was saying, well, he's going to say some difficult things. In fact, chapter four, verse two, there's a couple of people whose argument has gone viral. And he says, oh, I plead for Yodia and Syntyche to agree. Can you imagine when we get to the new creation and we meet and someone says, oh, hi, I'm Syntyche. And you say, oh, you. Yeah, I've read about you in uh, in Philippians. Imagine being known for being the person who had the argument. Well, Paul's going to write to this church and, and give some correction. But church life isn't easy. Church life's not hard. But despite that, he's writing to them to say that joy is available. Whatever our situation, joy is available. When we're called to serve and love people that we find difficult, joy is available. Maybe you can think of a couple of people right now who you find difficult in church family. And you know what? Someone else is probably thinking about you. But whatever situation we're in, joy is available. When we're hurt by others in our church family or when we have to apologise for the hurt that we've caused, joy is available in Jesus. Although we're a messy bunch of people, confused, stumbling along, trying to follow Jesus, often getting it wrong, joy is available. No matter what is going on in our personal situation, our cultural situation, our church situation, joy is available in Jesus. It doesn't matter what our life, our culture, our church is. If we're in Jesus, we are in joy because Jesus is our joy. Let's look at a couple of ways that that works out. So firstly, Jesus brings us together. Verse five. So so Paul launches into this joyful prayer. In fact, let's pick up verse three. It says, I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy. And here's why. Verse five, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being a Christian means being in Christ. And if we're in Christ, then We're in Christ with all the other people. It's like being on a boat. You're in a boat with everyone else who's there. It's like being on the bus. You're on the bus with everyone else there. When you're in church, when you're in Christ, you're there with all the other people who are in Christ. So that means you can't be a Christian by yourself, by definition. It's like a brick trying to be a wall by itself. Just doesn't work. Or a a trombone trying to be an orchestra by itself. That's not what an orchestra is. Being a Christian means being in Christ as part of his church. And that actually increases Paul's joy. So we started saying about I always pray with joy, always for all of you, every time I remember. And uh, verse seven 
It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. This is heartfelt. He's not just kind of pretending. He's not just uh, it's not just a, a nice wishful thought. This is a heartfelt joy and connection that he feels with others. Um, he goes on. Verse eight. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. This is gut wrenching. He means this. He feels this deeply. He has a deep connection and a deep joy with the church community he's writing to. You know, Jesus brings us together. Jesus brings us together to work together. And that can bring us joy. Paul says, verse five, I'm thankful because of your partnership. Partnership um, is a word probably means financial. This church, in fact, he boasts when he's writing to the Corinthians of how generous this church has been to him. He says they were so practical in supporting me. They didn't just send well wishes. They backed up their prayers and their thoughts with practical action. They sent money, possibly food, possibly clothes. The concrete, specific action to show that they were in this together with Paul. And look what it says in verse seven. It's right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you sharing God's grace with me. Whether it's good, whether it's bad, whether things are going well or things are stuck, whether it looks like God's mission is rapidly um, flooding through the earth or it looks like God's mission has got trapped in a prison. We're in this together. There's joy in working together. You know, Jesus brings us together to work together and that can bring us joy. We can share joy with each other. You know, the more people that you know in the church community, the more your joy will increase. There's an opportunity for joy when you hear about God's work in their life, about how God is changing them and growing them. When you hear about how God has answered prayer for them, has rescued them from difficult situations or provided for them in miraculous ways, you get a chance to share their joy. So get to know others in the church community. Connect with them. Send them a message. Pick up the phone. Pick up the video camera. Not that you do video calls on video camera. You know what I mean? Get on, get on Zoom. Get on, get on some way of connecting with people. Because the more the church knows each other, the more joy is available. There's joy in Jesus because Jesus brings us together to work together. Here's a second way. Have a look at verse six. When Paul's praying, he says this, that he's confident that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Jesus brings us together to change together. There's plenty of areas where our lives aren't as we want them to be. They're not as we know that God wants them to be. Um, in fact, in verse nine and 11, he kind of unpacks some of those. He says, verse nine, that he's praying that your love may abound more and more. Don't we want to love others more and more? Better connection, 
and more patient, more kind, more supportive. And that it may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that we know each other and that we know God more and more. Don't we want to know God more than we do now? Don't we want a deeper experience and understanding of who he is and what he's like and how that changes things? Or in verse 10, he goes on, so that you may able to may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Don't we want practical wisdom to know how to change our lives? There's plenty of areas where our lives aren't as we want them to be. But Jesus brings us together to change together. And if you're in Christ, you can be confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Do you, do you like personality tests? Now, if you say no, then ironically, that tells you something about you. But personality, I love a good personality test. And one of the ones you do is about um, it pulls up and it tells you if you're the kind of person who just starts something and then gets distracted and carries on. Or if you're a completer finisher. Now, I'm not sure exactly what it would look like if God took a personality test. But I can tell you this. God is a completer finisher. And if he has started a good work in you, he will complete it. We know that we're changing and we know that God will complete the change that he started. Jesus brings us together to change together. And that brings us lots of joy because there's the joy of honesty. We don't have to walk around feeling like a fraud. Thinking if these people really knew who I was and what I was like and what I've done, then they'd reject me. We don't need to because we're all a work in progress. And if you feel like that, talk to someone. There's joy in working together and saying, hey, could you pray for me? Could you point me in the right direction? Could you support me in my walk with Jesus as he's changing me? There's the joy of patience. We don't have to get frustrated with one another. Because we know when we see areas in other people's lives that God is still at work. If God is still working on someone, then we can have the patience to wait for God to do that work. If you're struggling with someone, why not ask God to show you how he sees them? Because he will finish the work that he started. And there's joy in changing together because there's joy in confidence. It means that no one is a lost cause. No one God writes off as, I tried my best, but I don't think they're going to cut it. If God has started a work in you, he will finish it. Which means that you can encourage a fellow Christian. You can encourage them and point out the work that God is doing in their life as evidence that he will continue to work and that he will finish the work that he started. Why not do that? You know, why not after this service, think of somebody and encourage them with what God is doing in their life, the plans that God has for them, how he's changing them and how he's growing. them. There's joy in Jesus. Jesus is our joy. If we're in Jesus, we're in joy because he brings us together to work together and to change together. And what does Paul say in verse nine? This is my prayer that your love may abound 
more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. This is something that continually increases. There is more joy available today than there was yesterday. And tomorrow you'll be able to say exactly the same thing. Because joy is something that God wants to grow in us. Verse 10. May your love abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may able to be may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the praise and glory of God. When Jesus returns for the second time, his work will be completed. And until that day, we can increase in joy day by day. And when he comes back, he will have completely transformed and changed us. And we will be able to look around at each other and say, wow, look what God has done. Look how he's changed us. Look how he's grown us. Look how different we are because of God's work in our life, because of what God has done through Jesus Christ in our lives. And that will be to the praise and glory of God. That will be something that makes us go, wow, God, you are truly amazing. And that is something that will bring us great joy. Joy is available. Whatever your personal situation, whatever your culture situation, whatever your uh, church situation, joy is available. Joy is available in Jesus. Jesus is our joy. He brings us together to work together, to change together and to increase the joy in our lives.